0: Welcome to our latest generation podcast and with me today is an old friend and colleague. He is Joe Bernard. Joe was minister for many years in Kiltarlity, which is a little village outside of Inverness. Kiltarlity is most famous, of course, for Shinty, and it's a great centre of athletic prowess. Joe, good to talk to you.
1: Yeah, it's an absolute privilege uh, to be uh, with you today. Thank you for the invitation.
0: So, are you missing the old country? If so, what are you missing? Apart from chocolate, yeah, uh,
1: you know, superficially, we certainly miss the, the the beauty. But I think more significantly, I think there's something really exciting about uh, the the church work in Scotland. Is is difficult as it is? Uh, I think you know the the clarity of the need and uh, and honestly, the the excitement of uh, what God's doing. I think you know it's more the the, the church reality on the ground than uh, the sort of tourist things that we miss.
0: Okay, so you're living and working now in Louisiana, in, in the deep south. Uh, compare and contrast the scene in the southern states with that in Invernesshire.
1: I think what's so interesting about uh, particularly the south in the United States is it really is still a very religious culture and particularly a, a Christian Culture. Not to say that that's not shifting with different generations. However, you know, if you look at just the number, the sheer number of uh, churches, and if you look at the kind of public way in which uh, you know Christianity inserts itself into whether it's the political conversation or just even advertisements, you're never far. Uh, from having people talking about Jesus or uh, different ministries making themselves present. And so, in a sense, uh, everybody's bombarded. Whereas, you know, in Scotland, there's so many people who, you know, they might not have a sincere Christian in their circle of friends. And they maybe didn't grow up at all with any real uh, in-depth encounter with God's word or the gospel. And so, there's a a kind of an ignorance or just even a, a... a total unfamiliarity with what Christianity is in Scotland, which is very different from what you have over here right now.
0: Sure. So, I mean, we're two, maybe three generations of people who don't even know the story of the gospel, the great creation to consummation narrative of the Bible.
1: Right, right. And I think what you get here is, you know, you have a lot of people that have maybe been unchurched or they're at a distance, but that you know they believe in in a God and they they probably you know maybe fear going to hell, and so they're they're pre pre evangelized in that way that increasingly there's less and less of those people in Scotland.
0: Okay, I'm uh, interested. You used the word religion there a few minutes ago. Are you comfortable using that word, or does it grate a little bit on you?
1: You know, I I think it it, it can grate. I think the So, you know, there's often a, uh, I guess you often hear among evangelicals that, you know, Christianity, it's it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And there's, you know, there's a profound truth in all of that, Uh, but there's also something, you know, where... Uh, You know, we're shaped by what we do and, you know, certain structures that can be helpful. And so I think (laughs) I see both evils. I see you don't want to reduce uh, Christianity to something called a religion, but sometimes it gets into something soft and undefined when you just say it's a relationship that's not altogether helpful as well.
0: Okay. Well, let's just chat about what you've been doing since you left Cotality. You're involved in a ministry called Cross Training Ministries. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cross Training Ministries is a men's discipleship ministry. Uh, I think what's particular about its focus is really uh, what we're trying to do is to help Christian men uh, break through low ceilings of spiritual growth. And so, you know, what you often have are uh, men in churches that they're okay, uh, they're But they're not great. They're not really able to um, exercise whether their leadership potential or just really achieve the maturity that they need as Christian men. And uh, so, you know, the hope is to help those guys, you know, find paths that, uh, although, you know, spiritual growth is always the fruit of the spirit, nonetheless, to help them along that path that leads to Christian maturity.
0: Okay, what frame of mind would a guy have to be in to get maximum benefit from cross-training?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what, what's really important is just that they have a hunger, that they're they're dissatisfied with their spiritual condition. Uh, this isn't you know a program or a ministry that's for you know some sort of elite in terms of uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you could be brand new or you could be in, have grown up in the church and been in it for sixty years, but if you're a guy who you know has a sense that there's more, but really don't know where to find it then, you know, those are the guys we're targeting. We're not trying to create all of the desire because, you know, in, in truth, we can't. But if there's a guy who has that uh, dissatisfaction, well, th- that's a guy that uh, we can help.
0: Okay. Tell tell me what you think a real man is. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, you know, I think a real man man would be a man who... Uh, more than anything else, wants to to know and glorify God. Uh, in that sense, I mean, there's not a huge difference to talk about a, a man or, or or a woman, but you know, we're we're made for God, and uh, it's only when we know Him and wholeheartedly have a desire to pursue His glory that really, you know, we're awakened our true existence. So, I mean, that that's that's the bedrock right there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what would the characteristics of such a man be?
1: Yeah. Um, well. Y- so, are you thinking in terms of uh, just men in general, or Christian a, guys? A Christian are,
0: guy, if you were to meet someone, you were really, you know, thought that is a that is a real man. What what elements of his life or behavior would stick out for you?
1: Yeah, um, you know, maybe if I slightly redefine the question, I think it would be because um, you have all kinds of you know false conceptions of masculinity. Uh, that seep into our thinking, and so, you know, if we're thinking, you know, what do what do Christian men who are really beginning to fulfill their potential, what do they look like? You know, those are then I think it's a little bit more uh, clear in my in my head. And you know, first of all, again, uh, you know, some of the things that I talk about in this in the book that I've just recently written, but you know, it begins with a heart again that's captivated by the majesty, the glory, the goodness. Of God, uh, you know. There's a, There's a hunger. There's a sense that that's better and higher than whatever else the world offers. And so it's not a guy who's uh, reducing his life to success in the workplace or to you know what he looks like in the mirror in the gym or uh, you know whatever other uh, ambitions he might have. But you know his cent- central ambition is again to know and to serve God. So you know that that captivation, as I call it, I think is is the very core, and you can put other things on top of it, but um, you know, that—that's the trait I love more than anything else to see in men.
0: Okay, would uh, would you define a Christian man as always having a Type A personality?
1: Yeah, certainly not. Uh, you know, one of the things I've tried to do with Cross Training Ministries is is to separate it from some different men's discipleship programs in the past, which have been greatly used by the Lord, but they've always tended to to that sort of, you know, very disciplined, uh, kind of aggressive type A uh, individual. And, you know, the fact is a lot of us don't have that type of personality and our spirituality shouldn't be limited by our personality. And so, uh, you know, the sorts of things that that I want to see in place are things that, you know, are not personality dependent. And so, you know, what we've just mentioned this captivation, you know, I talk a lot about friendship and spiritual friendship. And certainly, you know, that's something where men of different types of uh, temperaments, you know, come together. Uh, but I think I, th- I think what you, it's important that uh, when you're talking about discipleship, you're not just creating a kind of spiritual regimen that's only for those that, you know, are able to do Ironman competitions and also complete, you know, these spiritual exercises. You know, that's not the market.
0: Yeah, well, talk about your your book just shortly. Um, some folk would say that the church is being feminized, um, and I, I think I know what I mean by that, or what they mean by that. W- would you agree with folk who said generally that there's a feminization in the church?
1: You know. Uh... I think sometimes, you know, the criticism is somewhat superficial. Usually, you know, usually what that comes down to is style of music and a particular kind of praise, which is... um,
0: Jesus is my boyfriend kind of stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and there's two sides of that. On the one hand, you know, often there's plenty of lyrics in contemporary worship that are uh, kind of slipshod and careless. However, anybody who reads the devotional... The rich devotional heritage through the centuries of, of Christian spirituality very quickly realizes that it doesn't matter if you're you know reading the letters of Samuel Rutherford, if you're looking at the hymns of uh, Isaac Watts, uh, that these were guys who were comfortable with a kind of devotional life that makes a lot of contemporary guys squirm. So I don't know that the problem is always in the church. I think often the problem is with the men, and they've not really uh, tasted the goodness of God yet. And you can look at other aspects, but you know, I don't know if it's as simple. I think often men in particular are looking for excuses to avoid church. And that's an easy one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because folk often, you know, speak about the role of women in the church. But you know, I really wish the debate would shift a little bit and folk just start having an open discussion on the role of men in the church. But that may be as it is. Let me talk a little bit about your new book, which is this hot off the Press, published by Christian Focus, and it's called The Way Forward, a Roadmap for Spiritual Growth for Men in the 21st Century. Tell me uh, about this book, Joe.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, this this book is the, I guess, fruit of two different experiences in my life. Uh, One is more personal, you know, it's the sort of guiding quest of my life has has been just wanting to to figure out you know a road to to knowing God. Often drifting, um, often kind of doing figure eights, and so you know, trying to work it out in my own head. So there's a, there's a personal dimension, but you know, besides that, one of my experiences even in in kiltarility uh, was you know as. As you begin to have men that you want to disciple, and you know they might be showing up at your church once or twice on Sunday, you might still get an hour with them a week, you know doing one to one discipleship, but it it's not enough. and I, And I kept hitting this barrier where I wasn't able to give uh, these men what they needed in order to be able to get out of the this gravitational field of the secular culture they were in and begin to make some definite strides to maturity. And so, you know this book for me, it's it's not a comprehensive map. There's there's plenty of discipleship books that try to tell you all of the theory, all of the practice, and you know there's 300 pages, and they're kind of academic books. This isn't that. This is an itinerary. I mean, this is an itinerary tells you three things: it tells you where you are, where you need to be, and how to get from A to B. And that's what this book is meant to be.
0: Yeah, I love you. You talk in one point in the book about the difference between a quest and a pilgrimage. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yes, uh,
1: you know, one of the in a postmodern setting, one of the metaphors you you see again and again in life, and you know you hear this in pop music, you see it in films. But this idea that uh, life is this quest, and we're all searching for for meaning, and it's all personalized, and you kind of have to, you know, uh, figure it out for yourself. And and that's the nature of a quest. If you you know, if you go back and read a sort of medieval quest, you know, they're looking for something like the holy grail, and they I mean they, they, they kind of know what it is, but they don't know where to find it, and you know, a lot of it's just the journey itself that's the story. If you the point of contrast to that is a pilgrimage, and this is what you see in John Bunyan's classic book, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, there is a definite destination. And you may not, it's a difficult road to get there, but you're not navel-gazing, looking for the meaning of life. You know what that is. You want to make progress toward it. And the beauty, I think, of being a Christian is we don't have to live our lives as quest. Uh, You know, we know, we know where all things are headed. And so we're able to, you know, situate the narrative of my life and the greater narrative of the scriptures. And that provides a great deal of uh, clarity, even though there's great struggle uh, in the process
0: yeah one of the phrases that you often have, you know I've heard you use it often is that life is a battleground and not a playground. So what does that look like in the ordinary lives of of men in, in Scotland today?
1: yeah, you know if you look at if you look at the way, especially advertising you know is the classic example and and we're more influenced by these forms of media than we'd ever admit. Again and again, the picture is basically that that life is a big playground, and so you know what do you do in a playground? you try to maximize your fun and there 's a whole lot of people not outside the church but within their church that have that mindset. and the problem is when all of a sudden uh, a you know a great tragedy or, or something you 're not expecting happens, that playground model cannot make sense of it, and you 're utterly confused and possibly very angry now, if the bible you know, again and again uses militant language, uh, you know, to uh, you know, to abstain from the passions of the flesh that war against your soul. Um, you know, all of these, these this imagery of uh, spiritual uh, battle in the New Testament, you know, it reminds us that, uh, you know, we should go in to each day recognizing that it's going to be difficult, that there's an enemy, that the enemy is not even only outside of us, there's the sin that's within us. And if we're passive or if we're just looking for a good time or to maximize pleasure, then we're gonna end up being, if not casually, severely injured. And so I think it's vital that Christians maintain you know, the kind of mindset, certainly the Puritans had it, um, You know, the early Christians had it, but that this world is not conducive to our faith and that it takes uh, diligence, it takes effort, it takes vigilance in order to maintain that Christianity on a, a daily basis.
0: Okay, some folk would say, you know, looking at program, you know, they look at you, you're, you're very disciplined, you know, you, you've got a waistline to die for, you know, you look like someone who does SAS or SEAL training. Um, you know, I'm not trying to be... Facetious, but do you enjoy life or is there <laughs> some kind of contradiction between this discipline and just enjoyment in life? Tell me where the balance comes in.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like the image of proportion better than balance
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because the thing about proportion is some things uh, deserve, you know, more, more space. Uh, be featured more uh, clearly than others, and I think you know if you look at God, if you look at His greatness, it's true that uh, with Him, you know, as a fullness of joy. And so, I mean, I have I have great joy. Um, I think increasingly uh, in my family, in my marriage, in my kids, uh, in in the small things. You know, mm-hmm. I think as I, as I get older, even just noticing nature, hearing, listening to music, all of these sort of things bring me great joy. But I mean, there's nothing comparable to uh, knowing Jesus and, and drawing closer to him. And so, you know, part of, I think, uh, you know, what what spiritual maturity is, is just, you know, having that desire ever increasing as, you know, what you taste of God, you know, it it, it satisfies and dissatisfies the very Same time because you always see that there's more and desire more. So um, this is the this is the classic you know John Piper's Christian hedonism. You know that uh, that you know we don't forsake joy in order to have more of God. That we discover that all of these little uh, rivulets lead into this ocean, and we're tracing them forward to their source
0: all the time. Do you think that discipleship is more challenging today than it was 100 years ago? I mean, I think of, you know, my parents and my grandparents, uh, you know, they lived up in in the Scottish Highlands. They lived in a black house with no electricity, Um, very severe winters. You know, we've got television, smartphones, social media. Um, Is our life tougher than theirs?
1: You know, it's interesting. Last night I watched uh, 1917. With yeah, some, some great guys. movie. I saw last week. Yeah. Oh, incredible! And you know, it's that well-known problem in World War One that you know tactics and technology—you <laughs> know—they didn't fit. And I think part of the problem with discipleship is we're working with—I'm I'm not going to say they're—it's they're, not like they're obsolete tactics, but we're working on a with a model of discipleship that's not necessarily fitted to, you know, what's happened to the culture. So I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, the, the advent of the smartphone, you know, which is what, 15, less than 15 years old. And the way in which that's totally changed, uh, you know, just how we communicate, uh, how we focus our attention. You know, a lot of Christians, they still have this mindset. If I show up to church for two services on Sunday and go to maybe a midweek, and, and, and you know, as well as I do, that's, you're talking about the, the cream of the crop, so to speak, in terms <laughs> of at least uh, commitment that that's enough, but that's not enough to combat all of the influences of the way that we're media saturated, that, you know, your grandparents, my grandparents, they weren't, they didn't exist. And so, you know, Satan's always been on the prowl and we've always had the problems of indwelling sin. I think we just have to work hard to understand where we're situated and make sure that we're being vigilant, you know, on the right front.
0: Joe, you've got a great line in your book, and it says this, at the end of the day, love always wins. Whatever a man loves most will direct the course of his life. Um, What's kind of behind that? What does that look like in practice?
1: You know, all of us, uh, all of the time, are pursuing what we hold to be of utmost importance. The the difficulty is actually self-awareness. Uh, because most of us really don't see it, and you know, the, the problem is it's being shaped. Uh, it's being shaped at an unconscious level by the places we go to, uh, by the professions that we work within. You know, so if you are a lawyer and you're going into a firm every day, and all around you are emblems that, uh, you know the. the the quality of, or the the worth of your person is measured by, you know, what you achieve or by your income or by where your office is in the building. You know, you're not thinking about these things, but they're constantly shaping your very deepest and most profound emotions. And so subtly, you know, you begin to live for success, even though, you know, you're professing to be a Christian and you're going to church. That's not what's really shaping your heart. You're, you're, uh, you're you know, suppose it's Sunday morning worship, and so that the part of the difficulty is being able to detach, reflect, and and recognize where the drift is and we 're all drifting all the time I mean this is why we need great, you know, uh, expository uh, preaching that really reveals our hearts to us as well as reveals our need of Jesus.
0: Uh, Yeah, let let me just unpack that again a little bit. You spoke of self-awareness. So how do we go about getting self-awareness? I mean, one of the great points you make in the book is how to really get the most out of public worship, for example, Mm-hmm. So, I guess that 's one element of it isn 't it the Bible's look like a mirror, so again, tell us how did you get self awareness in your life you know
1: if there 's any preachers out there, uh, I would speak to them first because I think this is where people need preachers who you know you think of john stott 's illustration of building bridges, and it 's so important you know we need god 's truth we need that 's fundamental but we need, you know, prophetic preaching in the sense of people who can also see the times wherein Christians are living and help them discern those times and live out the word of God, you know, in in this setting that we're within. Uh, So hopefully going to church, you know, that ought to be doing this for us. Now, in addition to that, I think, you know, as Christians, one one of the recommendations is to read, at the end of the book is to read a book uh, on modern culture. And, you know, things like that beginning to be attuned to uh, the sort of trends that are really influential. So, so, for example, right now, again, if we go back to the whole technology thing, you know, to take up some thoughtful book, uh, possibly by a Christian writer, it may not be, but that helps us understand how these things are affecting us. Um, you know, also, I think uh, close Christian friendship, people- can see things, honestly, things are obvious to other people that are invisible to us. So, you know, my wife can very quickly pick up on the trends of my behavior uh, in a way that I cannot, and it's helpful for me uh, to be able to hear from her, you know, I, I think you're beginning to obsess about something that's, it's not a bad thing, but it's beginning to control my thought, my, my emotion in a way that somehow, you know, uh, actually impedes discipleship. So relationships or something else that I would, uh, mention.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing I, I miss about your company here is we often spoke of get books and, uh, Uh, I mean, the book you recommend is Neil Postman. You, you you've got a classic book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Um, you know, I was, it's 35 years old now, but I think everybody should read that. It really is a great description of contemporary culture. And I think there's a timelessness about it. I love also, you know, you recommend Pilgrim's Progress. Um, one of the really I think useful things about your life is that you, you know you would read or quote Bruno Mars, but you'd also quote <laughs> Bunyan. Um, you know, it, does that reflect your reading and your interest? You do old stuff, you do new stuff.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, you, you mentioned timelessness, and there is there are certain books that are timeless. They may not be easy all the time, but they're you know uh, they've been tested. Uh, but y- it's also, I think. I think you know. It's important for us to be able to. You, know, you mentioned Bruno Mars to be able to 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 listen sometimes to what's going on, even at a popular culture level, because again, it's it's revealing the context we're living in. Uh, in fact, I mentioned Stata few minutes ago, but you know, he's another great example here because you know, he surrounded himself with young professionals who would take him to films, who would introduce him to novels. And you know, he was able to think about the Christian faith profoundly at a contemporary level because he didn't totally disengage from popular culture. And so you know, without selling our soul to it, you know, we can learn how to be you know, useful critics of it.
0: Yeah. You've got another great phrase in the book, and I, I want to tease a little bit more out from you here. Again, it's in page sixty seven. Love is a renewable resource. Mm. So certain persons got love in their heart, they've got love in their heart for Jesus, they've got love in their heart for their wife, they've got love in their heart for a friend, for their children, but it gets depleted. Tell us how you renew that love.
1: Yeah. yeah lo- love is really the byproduct of a kind of vision. You know, when you see something that is good, that you perceive to be good, perceive to be beautiful, you know, that immediately produces love in the heart. This is why idolatry is so dangerous. You know, if you're if you're living for success, whenever you see success, it reaffirms and produces a greater desire or love for that. Or for any other idol, but it also works spiritually to our advantage, and this is where uh, this is where gospel preaching constantly takes us back to the very source of uh, of you know our faith, the the, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. his the, his person as the God man, because whenever we see these things that as Christians, God's opened the eyes of our heart. We know they're good, <laughs> they're beautiful, and to see their beauty, you know, it, it fills us back up with a love that then, you know, can energize us forward for the other things. And so, that's where, uh, you know, a devotional life and also, you know, our, our corporate worship experience, you know, these are so important, we may not recognize it, but they're constantly re-energizing, um, you know, the, the, very, the very center of our heart.
0: Another thing that you raise again and again, I find it quite interesting, is the phrase, the judgment of Christ. We don't hear an awful lot these days about about the judgment. Um, What what do you mean or what do you think the Bible means about that? Uh, And also, is judgment a legitimate motivation for spiritual dynamism?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll think first biblically and then about you know the, the sort of practical motivational question. What's so interesting? It's interesting when you know when Paul, if you pay attention to his preaching, and a great example is is even in you know, Acts seventeen where he's in Athens, and initially he's making a connection, you know, with people who really know nothing about the true God, but he gets to the point where he says that you know God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man he has ordained. And that he's given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. And so he puts before them the fact that Jesus is judge. And he doesn't just do this for the unbelievers. You can go to 1 Corinthians 3 and he's, uh, he's talking you know, to a Christian community or you can look at 2 Corinthians 5 where he's talking about his own ministry and, and the, the fearfulness that he feels facing you know, the judgment seat of Christ as he seeks to fulfill his commission. So it's not a minor Theme It's it's a major part of the gospel, the belief that the resurrection and ascension signify that Jesus is judge and that he will not judge the world, but also judge individual Christians. Um, for whatever reason, this commonplace of, of classic Reformed spirituality, which you see in Calvin, you see it in Bunyan, um, you see it all in Owen, and you see it all over the place, it's just not been talked about. And, you know, we could look about, we think about the reasons why that is, but to get to your second question, whether it's… Uh, A valid or a helpful source of motivation. I think, I think definitely so. Um, we're often too idealistic with our motivation. You know, we pretend that we can always soar like eagles on the very best mode of which is love or gratitude. But I know that there are certain moments where it's helpful to have another gear to drop down into. And, you know, one of those I think is fear. So, you know, take a guy who, a Christian man who all of a sudden begins to feel himself playing around with lust. Um, you know, sometimes to drop down and say, you know what, I don't know <laughs> if I want to do something that is offensive to God in this way and to be accountable for it, that might provide the, the you know, a, a moment of boot, a kind of burst of power that he needs to, to say no. So I like, I like to tell guys to have multiple gears of motivation, you know, have love and gratitude, but, you know, also be able to drop down into a sense of duty or even a sense of uh, fear. And I think all of these together can really help us in the Christian life.
0: What about the idea of hell? Do you think that hell should be spoken about more? Or how ought we to speak about hell in either preaching or in maybe one-to-one conversation?
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh, there's two questions. I want to make sure that we keep them separate. One of the things so fascinating about 1 Corinthians 3 when Paul talks about judgment is he talks about though being saved. And so he doesn't want Christians to think that, you know, the fact that they will be held accountable before the judgment seat of Christ means that there's some kind of second cut and they could lose their salvation. He's not talking about that. And so, um, you, know, if you're, you know, if I'm talking about motivation for Christian men, <laughs> I'm not going to use, or for Christians in general, hell as a motive for the believer, um, you know, so, so, but in terms of uh, non-believers, then I think, yeah, we, we ought to fearlessly tell them what they, they need to hear. Uh, and so, you know, while we uh, fixate on, uh, you know, all of the points of the gospel, we need to not uh, lack the courage to just be honest about, you know, what the gospel reveals about the afterlife. Cause after all, that's, that's where we're headed for eternity. So. Uh,
0: I think one of the, again, high points of the book for me, and it's a diagnostic question. It's so perceptive. You've got an A.W. Tozer quote in there, and I think you know what's coming. Um, Tozer said the most important thing about a person is what comes to mind when he or she hears the word God. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh
1: definitely and I think this is where for so many of us we don't see the degree to which our spiritual lives are uh impoverished by the the whether it's the obscurity or the uh the lack of clarity in our understanding of who God is. And you know as Christians there's no greater privilege than than knowing God, but there's nothing that will benefit us more as well than really understanding whether it's uh his holiness, uh, whether it's his love, uh, you know, you know p- pick your attribute. Um, none of them are irrelevant. None of them are detached. They're the very, you know, granite of, of, of existence. So, you know, we're building our life off this reality, but so many of us are comfortable, you know, going through decades without really ever contemplating who he is.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, you, you and I, we ministered in, in the highlands and we both ministered to a diverse group of people. I think, uh, I guess you came across them as well, one of the saddest group uh, where maybe folk could be brought up really legalistically and their perception of God was a kind of frowning um, mm. character who was just ready to be, beat them down uh, with a stick. Was I the only one that came across folk like that in pastoral ministry? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely not. You know, one of the things uh, that, that does humor me is the way in which sometimes American Bible Belt Christians and Scottish, particularly Highland Christians, need to an opposite emphasis. You know, over here, a lot of people can't imagine that God could ever disapprove of anything in their life. Whereas, you know, in that Highland context, often uh, somehow people just need to be, the truth is to be massaged in that, that he's gracious and loving, a good father, that he can smile.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, I think, uh, you know, we're talking about movies, 1917, and that's very, very powerful. Um, I don't know, if, are you old enough to remember Mr. Rogers? Did he feature in your childhood?
1: Yes, yes, I, I definitely remember Mr. Rogers.
0: Excellent. Well, I mean, I, I'm more of a, as you know, a, an America filer. I just love America right. and everything America. You know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You know, uh, Mr. Rogers was this just this amazing character. Um, I think Tom Hanks is playing him in, in a new movie. Um, that is almost the other end, isn't it? When you've got this, you know, God as nice—is is that equally right. as dangerous? Do you think? you know definitely so
1: and and really what we just have to recover is is the cross you know this is this is where god's character is revealed in a way that you know really cannot be replicated anywhere else because we see you know his absolute holiness and justice is the punishment of sin for sin falls upon jesus and yet there is jesus who is god receiving it and so you know there's an infinite revelation of both Uh, holiness and justice, but also love and goodness simultaneously. And, you know, we've just got to pitch our tent and behold the cross to really come to terms with
0: who God is, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, uh, I mean, another observation you make is you you say that a lot of modern men struggle to read. Um, Why is that? Uh, you,
1: You know, one of the things about... Uh, literacy. Uh, f- for generations, people thought if they would uh, teach people how to read, then they would become readers. And what no one anticipated is that you know people would learn to read but have no interest in reading. And that's that's where we are. Uh, we we are not taught that. Our mind should be trained like our body. And so you have a lot of men who, not every man, but a lot of men who will invest countless hours, you know, trying to fine-tune, you know, whether their endurance or their their physical strength, but have absolutely no interest in cultivating their mind in any way. Now, maybe for the non-Christian, that's acceptable, but for the Christian, our mind is too important. You know, transformation comes to the renewal of the mind, Paul tells us. And so you know, I think I tell men, uh, you don't have to be an academic. <laughs> yeah. You don't even have to like to read, but you have to read. And if you don't have a, a book that you're currently reading, something is wrong. Uh, so one, one of the positive trends to to you know come out of the rut of negativity, more and more men are willing to listen to books. And so I find a little bit of comfort knowing that in commutes, rather than listening to the latest pop music, some men are out there listening to good podcasts like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> would you concede that, you know, um, if some guys and even girls don't like reading, would you not concede to say, that's fair enough, that's just the way folk are built, but would you say, can you not just absorb ideas in another way? Is that the point you're trying to make, just absorb ideas? So whether it's through a book, um, an audio book, podcasts. Is that a good substitute for reading?
1: Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't substitute it. I'd say it's, it, it, it's certainly better than a lot of other uses of time, but there, there's something about a book because a book has to be written in a form where thoughts are being connected yeah. in a way that a podcast can be a free-flowing conversation. Both, have, both are good for different things. I would tell anyone that in addition Listening to say a podcast and even listening to books, uh, there's something learning how to read a book well. I don't like reading, I don't like eating broccoli, I don't like eating spinach, but I, I do it <laughs> because it's good for me. And it's okay if you find it difficult to read books, but just learn it's good for you. And, uh, you know, a lot. Five minutes a day to doing
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've read Douglas Murray's book. It's big over here in The Madness of Crowds. Um, He Mm. makes that point about the difference between podcasts and reading. And one of the great things about reading is that we can have conversations with dead people. Uh, We can, you know, listen to them, hear their arguments and what they've they've got to say. Um, You've got this idea, again, it comes up again and again as a band of brothers... What does a good band of brothers look like?
1: You know, we can broaden it even to kind of a category of spiritual friendship, you know, to to make sure we're not just thinking of our brothers but sisters. But uh, it's a kind of intentional relationship. I would, to, to help people think about it, churches tend to emphasize large group worship and small group, whether you call it community groups or house groups. Those are both good, but there's something that can still fall through the cracks that doesn't quite happen in those settings. And it's it's the more uh, intimate, vulnerable kind of friendship where people are able to uh, reveal more of themselves, be able to receive, if they need it, you know, uh, admonition or criticism even, uh, something, uh, a rebuke. Um, it's an intentional life together where two friends, like you get in Pilgrim's Progress, faithful, hopeful, Christian, uh, are headed to the same place, and the relationship is so that everyone can continue to advance in that direction.
0: Yeah. That doesn't happen you know, overnight though, does it?
1: No. And I think what's important though is a lot of Christians haven't really been told that that this is important and that you know that they, they need to allot time to it. And often churches haven't made space or created structures to help people find these kinds of friendship. Uh, Too often Christians think they know what friendship is because we all have friends, but, you know, spiritual friendship is slightly different. It's different from just, uh, you know, going and watching a football match with people you like. It's more intentional than that. And so Christians need training on what it is, how to cultivate it, and, you know, the, the benefits that come from it.
0: Yeah. Joe, it's been so good talking to you. We're kind of getting near the end of the podcast now. So if folk are interested in you know some of the ideas that you have, what's the URL for uh, your your ministry website, Cross Training?
1: Yeah, uh, Cross just as X, so xtrainingministries.com. And uh, I would mention, if, if anybody... One of the things about this book is it's really not just meant to be read, but it's meant to lead to a path. And you can actually go straight from the book to uh, Decathlon, which is a set of uh, 10 different challenges where you take basically the last few pages and whether yourself or with some other Christian friends can actually uh, experience the kinds of disciplines that promote growth. Don't guarantee growth, but they promote it. And so uh, you know, there might be some listeners that would be interested in finding out on the website about the the cross-training spiritual decathlon.
0: Okay. Well, so have a look at Joe's website, xtraining.com, and also the book The Way Forward, A Roadmap for Spiritual Growth for Men in the 21st Century. Joe, thank you so much for spending time uh, with us today. We wish you every blessing, and we hope to see you uh, this side of the pond uh, in one of your, your visits. So please don't forget us here in Scotland.
1: I won't. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for this invitation.
0: Blessings.